We are continuing our Family Foundations series. And really what we want as pastors is we want for you what God wants. We want you to have a strong, healthy, vibrant family. And so we're trying to equip you with the word of God. Um, and I believe that God has great things in store for you and your family. I believe your family's best days are ahead. I think tonight's message could be helpful for some of you. This is something that I think we all need to hear and think about. This has been a difficult year, understatement, understatement of the year, right? A lot of close quarters, a lot of heightened tension in families. We know that that's a fact. And so tonight, we want to talk about family fights. Real talk tonight. We're going to talk about family fights. And I've asked my lovely wife, Pastor Amy, to join me on the stage, help me preach this message. She's amazing, and everything I say will sound better with her by my side. She's going to speak to us as well. We tend to get most frustrated with the people that we're closest to, don't we? It's because the people that we're closest to are the ones that we're the most vulnerable with. We don't really care so much what strangers think. I had a guy on Facebook last week call me an idiot. Just another week in the life of a pastor. That's normal. Like, I didn't care. Like, I don't even know this guy. I don't care what he thinks. But if my wife, my sweet, beautiful wife called me an idiot, I'd be like, you married me, right? <laughs> so what does that say? You know, like, like, I do care what she thinks. We have the power to help or hurt our families based on how we treat them and how we speak to them. And there are some families where, unfortunately, there's more hurting going on than helping. But the thing is, nobody wants to fight with their family. Nobody wants that. Nobody wakes up and is like, I want to fight with my family today. You'd have to be a sociopath to think that. We all want our families to be loving and kind. But the thing is, you don't get a loving family by accident. You don't get a kind family by accident. That doesn't, that doesn't just happen by accident. By default, we are all selfish and sinful people, and we're quarrelsome by nature. Like, I, I know I was just born a fighter. I was a natural fighter. Anybody, you relate to that? Like, from the young age, kindergarten, like, my toys. Just, like, looking for a fight. Who wants to fight with me now? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like that. My wife is the opposite. Like, my dad asked me one time when I was young, Ryan, why are you so angry? And I was like, I don't know. But I am! <laughs> like, I remember going away thinking, like, that's a good question. But I, I was just a fighter. And in a lot of families, you just fight. You just yell. There's a lot of screaming. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of bickering back and forth. That's not what God wants for you. You might not even realize some of the reasons that your family might be fighting. So let's start with that. You might be fighting because you learn bad behavior. Here's the first reason. You might not even realize, but you might be fighting based on the family you grew up in. Some of you grew up in households where people were always yelling at each other, kind of just speaking with a harsh tone of voice. As soon as anything happened, it was like shouting, and it creates tension. It creates stress, doesn't it? It's funny, I've noticed like every single culture group thinks that they are allowed to be angry and yell. Oh, we're, we're Italian. It's just how we talk. We're Puerto Rican. We're German. We're Irish. Like, I have not met a peaceful culture group. Yes. Right. There, there is no excuse. Like, we don't want your families to be filled with anger and yelling. 
If you grew up in a family with a lot of fighting, you don't have to keep that pattern going for your family. Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. The Holy Spirit can break you out of the patterns of behavior that you've already developed and set you on a new course. This could be the beginning of a new era for your family. Some of you, your kids are always fighting, and you might be wondering, like, is this kid demon-possessed or something? Maybe some of you, they're copying the pattern of behavior that you've established. But, But whatever you have been doing up until this point, this could be a new beginning. The Holy Spirit will remold us if we let him into the image of Jesus. And how does Jesus look? Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Jesus was kind and tenderhearted. We know because kids wanted to be around him. Kids don't want to be around mean adults, do they? And this is what we want to be like too. We want to be kind and tenderhearted towards one another. It doesn't matter what kind of family you grew up in. The Holy Spirit wants to help you grow up and become like Jesus, kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Because people in your family, they will irritate you. But if you forgive them, that changes things. You won't fight with someone you've already forgiven. Amen? So good. You also might be fighting because you're not communicating. Fighting is the result of pent-up frustrations. And frustration almost always involves lack of communication. And girls, we know communication is so important. Am I right? Sometimes you just have to talk about it. James 1.9 says, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. But so often in our families, we do the exact opposite of what this verse tells us to do. Am I right? We are uh, quick to get angry. We're quick to snap at each other, and we're slow to listen. Or maybe we don't listen at all. But the truth is, sometimes you just feel like fighting. Sometimes the people in your family are going to annoy you. They're going to stress you out. But if you feel like fighting, you probably are not communicating. And I have learned this lesson the hard way more than once. Because by nature, I'm a people pleaser. I do not like conflict. I will do anything that I can to avoid it. And I learned this lesson again, I say again because I've had to learn it a few times, a couple months ago when Lila was first born, and before I tell you this story, in my defense, she was a newborn, I was very sleep deprived, and there were just some things in my life that were annoying me more than they normally would because I was so tired. Love you. But I had gone to the grocery store and I came home and I walked in the door and I was carrying a load of groceries. And Ryan had been doing this thing that had just been driving me crazy. And if I'm being honest, I do not remember what it was. When I was working on this sermon, I could not remember what was driving me nuts. That shows you that it was really not that big of a deal. And how tired I was, but I could not remember what it was, but he was doing this thing. 
when I walked in from the grocery store, and I was like, again, seriously? So I walk back out, I get the second load of groceries, and I come in the house, and he's still doing it. And I'm like, what? I'm so frustrated right now. And so in my wisdom and maturity, I decided that I was going to go into the garage and give myself one minute to be upset. So I walk into the garage. I'm completely by myself, which I know is insane. And I was like, I'm so mad right now. He just doesn't understand. It's so frustrating when he, I don't remember, but when he does this, my one minute was up and I walked back in the house and I felt so much better. But the problem was four days later, it happened again. So what did I do? I was like, all right, garage time, let's go. And I walk into the garage and I give myself one minute and here we go, I'm so mad. And I walked back in and I felt better. But it happened again two days later. And then by the end of the week, I realized that I had been in the garage every single day for five days in a row. And I was standing in the garage, this sleep-deprived new mom, and I'm thinking, I have absolutely lost my mind. I am so frustrated with my sweet, loving husband, and he doesn't even know that I'm mad because I had never told him that what he was doing was annoying me. So I walked in the house, and I went and I told him what was annoying me, and he's probably never done it again. I mean, I don't know, because I can't remember why I was mad, but I'm sure he's never done it again. But this just proves that when you don't communicate, you will just stay frustrated. And the more that you don't communicate, the more frustrated you become, and eventually you will explode. Now, honey, Dad, I, I do want to just point out, I normally do help her carry the groceries in, okay? <laughs> That's true. He totally does that. But this time, he didn't. Apparently, he didn't. But he normally does. But you have to communicate to have healthy relationships. So I'm going to give you a few quick communication tips. Number one, instead of attacking who the person is or criticizing what they did, start with talking about how you feel. How are you feeling in that moment? Instead of walking up to someone in your family and saying, you're lazy or you never help me, start and say, when you do this, it makes me feel like this. Because then you're not focusing on what was done wrong, but you're focusing on your own feelings. And they can't really argue back with how you're feeling. When you focus on feelings, it builds intimacy instead of hostility. Tip number two, if you can tell someone in your family is frustrated, and you can usually tell, right? Instead of asking what's wrong, ask, are you okay? Are you okay? Because when you ask what's wrong, you are just setting yourself up for a fight. Oh, what's wrong? I'll tell you what's wrong. I just finished the dishes that took me 35 minutes and you waltz in all happy and put your dirty dish in the sink and walk away like nothing ever happened. I'm mad because you did this. When you ask what's wrong, you're setting yourself up for a fight. But if you ask, are you okay? You're not focusing on the mistakes, but you're focusing on the person. And you're allowing them to answer in a way that doesn't automatically lead to a fight. 
No, I'm not okay. I'm feeling frustrated right now. When you ask, are you okay, you're just showing that you care. You care about that person. You care about their emotions. Taking time to communicate shows that you care. You might be fighting because you're assuming the worst. We tend to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, right? We tend to think we're pretty awesome, and if we're not, we have a very good reason why we were not awesome in that moment. But with other people, especially our family, we assume the worst very quickly. He doesn't even care. They don't appreciate me. He must not love me. She doesn't have any respect for me. We jump to these conclusions. If you've been hurt before, you might fear other people will hurt you too and assume the worst. If your parents were controlling, as soon as your husband makes a suggestion, it's like, oh no, we're not going there. You are not controlling me. Or if your ex was bad with money, as soon as your wife buys something that was a really good deal and on sale, you jump immediately to, she's going to ruin us financially. We always jump to the extreme. And you might think, I know that person. I know them better than they know themselves. But the truth is, you cannot know what's happening in other people's hearts. 1 Kings 8.39 says, God, you alone know each human heart. Only God knows what's truly happening in someone else's heart. So we have to give people the benefit of the doubt. If she forgot something, don't just jump to she doesn't care about me. Stop and think, you know what? She has a lot on her plate right now. The kids have been home for 3,000 years. She's working full time. She makes dinner. It's because she's super busy right now. And give her a little grace. If he was impatient, it's not because he doesn't care. He had a really hard day at work, and maybe he's tired. The truth is, family will hurt you, but it's rarely on purpose. So if something happens, if someone in your family says something that hurts your feelings, stop and think he probably did not mean to hurt my feelings. I know he loves me. We need to give people the same benefit of the doubt that we would want when we're having a bad day or going through a rough season. The next thing I want you to remember is, remember this, your words have power. Your words have so much power to affect the people in your family. In Proverbs 18, it says, the tongue has the power of life and death, spiritually. Your words can be like a toxic poison or a sweet fruit to someone's soul based on how you speak to them. And it says in Proverbs 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Okay, so I want you to think about this. I, I want to illustrate this. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. You might have an argument in your family. You might say something to one another and think, well, you know, we're just arguing. We're just kind of, we're just kind of getting some things off our chest. But the word of God's trying to warn us here that your words can cause incredible damage to one another, especially if you're not careful about what you say. 
Now, I think when, when you hear about people physically abusing others in their family, you think, oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. I would never do that. But you're lucky, some of you, that you can't be convicted for assault with deadly words. Some of you will be serving 25 to life. Because you can really hurt people with your words. You might think you're just arguing with your spouse in the kitchen or having a little whisper fight in the bedroom. You know, like, I'm so mad at you. I can't believe you. Because you don't want the kids to hear, right? But next time you're tempted to fight with someone in your family, I want you to picture yourself standing with swords, potentially about to do serious damage. The deadly words that we speak, sometimes it's when you bring up the past. And all this happens in families, doesn't it, right? Like you bring up the past. It's almost like you're waiting for them to do something. You're going to bring up the This is just like last time when you... Or 10 years ago when you said I was... <laughs> right. <laughs> pierces like sores. I mean, you don't want to bring up the past. The only time you should bring up the past with your family members is if you're bringing up something good. good. Words that we speak that are really damaging is, I think, when you assume the worst, like Pastor Amy said, and you judge each other's heart, you issue judgment. Like, oh man, you don't even care about our family. You don't even love me. You don't respect me. It hurts. You care about work more than you care about our kids. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, like, yeah. that's damaging. You feel, I feel like you like this too much. <laughs> this makes me uncomfortable, but I feel like you like it. <laughs> or, or how about this? When you attack the other person's identity, this is really dangerous. When you say, you are, you are a loser. You're a jerk. You're lazy. I got nothing else. <laughs> you're just like, right, you're just like so-and-so. You're just like so like your brother, like your father, like your mother. I mean, that's like speaking someone's identity, right? And, and that can really hurt when you attack someone's identity. What it says in Ephesians is this, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. You can actually abuse people with your language. So next time you say something in a moment of frustration, stop and ask yourself, is this good? Is it helpful? Is it encouraging? Because if it's not, maybe I shouldn't say anything. 1 Corinthians 13 says this. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, a lot of couples will read this passage at their wedding, because it seems romantic, kind of out of context. But it's talking about love nonetheless. It's funny how they'll read this passage at their wedding and then they'll immediately forget it as they begin their marriage. Love is not rude. It's not irritable. How many families are irritable? Like it's just a hair trigger to set you off. It doesn't demand your own way. Like, man, give a little bit. Compromise a little bit. Love doesn't give up. So I want to point that out. If you did have a fight in your family, if maybe you, you come from a family where there's been a lot of conflict, a lot of arguing up until this point, maybe God has you here for a reason, I want to encourage you, don't give up on the relationship. Even if you have fought and had a lot of conflict, you're always hopeful. 
If there's love, man, you can endure through every circumstance the way that God loves us. We can keep loving one another in our families. I want to remind you of this. Frustrations pass, but words last. The things that frustrate us, which can just really set us off sometimes. Often we look back and they're so little, aren't they? Things that are so little. You look back, like, I, don't even, I don't even remember what I was mad about. Case in point, right? I mean, I don't even remember what I was mad about. Or how many times have you had a big fight and you woke up the next morning and you had that next morning after fight hangover? I was like, what was that? Why were we fighting last night? I just remember tears. I remember yelling. I said things I regret. Ah, I wish that hadn't have happened. The frustrations that we, that we oftentimes are allowed to drive us towards fighting and conflict, so often they're just inconsequential in the big scheme. Ask yourself, is this going to matter in a year or 10 years or in eternity? If not, maybe just let, let that frustration pass before you decide if it's really worth having a big argument over. Because the words that you speak can cause lasting damage. Well, a little tip I'd like to just share with you is in, in our relationship, if there's ever been a moment of conflict or tension, I recommend in the middle of your, your argument, let's call it a fight, take a, a moment to pause and touch one another. Those of you who are married, just stop and take a touching break. Like, like, there's been times that we've been on the couch and been like, you know, mad at each other, and it's like... But the thing is, it's hard to touch one another and stay mad at each other. It's like, she feels really good. Like you could even elevate and go next level. Like, come here, just give a little hug. You know, just. She smells good, too. I don't know, maybe even start making out and turn a negative into a positive. I don't know. But stop. Just take a moment. Give it a moment to pass because you love one another, right? Amen. All this hugging, I might need a moment. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Tonight we're going to talk about two things that God wants for your family. Number one, God wants your family to be fun. Did you know that? God wants your family to be fun. And I guarantee that if your family had more fun, you'd have less fights. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Fun is good for your marriage. It helps you to build a strong marriage. And when you have a strong marriage, it creates stability and peace in the hearts of every single member of your family. Pastor Ryan and I were talking about it this week, and we were thinking back about our childhood, and we almost never remember our parents fighting in front of us. But you know what we do remember? We do remember having fun. I remember going to the park as a family. I remember going on mother-daughter shopping trips with my mom. I remember the trips that we took. Ecclesiastes 8.15 says, so I recommend having fun. The Bible's telling you to have fun. That way they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. 
And I know we're so busy today. There's so many things that are grabbing our attention. We have work and school and homework and clubs and dance and chores. The list goes on and on and on that sometimes fun gets put to the bottom of the list or it's not on the list at all. But you need to remember that your family is not a military unit and you're not a drill sergeant, right? Your family is not a business and you are not the CEO. Family should be fun. In one survey, when kids were asked, what do you love to do with your family? The number one answer was play board games and number two was go to the park. Notice what was not on the list, video games, TV. That's not what kids truly enjoy. They want face-to-face conversation. They want eye contact with you. They want to laugh with you. They want to communicate with you. And when you're having fun as a family, you're building friendships and fostering love. And it doesn't have to be grand. And it's not like, okay, we will have fun as a family the one weekend a year we take a vacation. No, we should be having fun with our families every single day. I want to challenge you to have five minutes of fun with your family every single day. Make it a priority. When your kids grow up, they might appreciate that you had them in bed every single night at 7.15 exactly and the house was clean and the dishes were done and you could turn out the lights and say it was a great day. But that's not what they're going to look back on and have the fondest memories about. They're going to remember the times the most that there were dirty dishes in the sink but you were on the floor playing with them. Have fun with your family. Number two, God wants your home to be a place of peace. And as a wife, this has always been so important to me, to create a home that was peaceful. For me, that means a clean house, a tidy house where things are in their place and easy to find. It doesn't always happen, but I try my best. I want to make good food so we can gather around the table and have conversation. I want my family members, my husband, to enjoy being at home more than anywhere else in the world. The Bible says it's better to be poor in peace than have a wealthy family at war with each other. Proverbs 17.1, better a dry crust eaten in peace than a house filled with feasting and conflict. Nobody wants to go home to a house every single night that's filled with conflict. And when your home is peaceful, it doesn't matter as much what's happening in the world around you. Because when you come home, you come home to a safe place that's full of peace. But when your home is not peaceful, it just magnifies the outside stress. Because you're in a constant state of conflict. Now let's be honest tonight. Some of you are not the problem. You just live with someone who's hard to get along with. Do not look at the person sitting next to you right now. (laughs) That will lead to conflict. Psalm 127 says, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So what do you do if you are for peace? You're a peacemaker. You try, but someone in your family is always for war. They're always ready to fight. They're always ready for conflict. What do you do? Proverbs 15.1 tells us, 
A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. You cannot control what other people do. You can't control what they say. You cannot control them. But you can control how you respond. You can control what you say. You can control your actions. Ladies, I want to talk to you for just a minute tonight. As a woman, you have a special power to influence the atmosphere of your home. The statement, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, is so true. You hold that power. There are at least six verses in Proverbs talk, that talk about a quarrelsome wife and the negative impact they have on their family. Proverbs 21, 19. It's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. What? Seriously? Girls, we do not want to be this woman. We do not want our family, our husbands, to think that it would be better to live in the desert than to live with us. I mean, come on. This is not who we want to be. But Proverbs also tells us who we should be. Proverbs 31, 36, when she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. What woman do you choose to be? A woman that is always ready to fight, always critical, always harsh, always looking for the negative, or are you going to be the woman who finds the good in every situation? The woman who speaks life. The woman who speaks kindness. The woman who sets the atmosphere of her home. How many of you would say, I want my home to be a place of peace? I do. And that's what God wants for you too. Amen. I'd be surprised if there's ever been a family that didn't have some type of fighting. So we want to make sure that we fight the right way. If we're going to fight, we got to fight the right way. Nehemiah 4 says this, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes and your freedom. <laughs> but I love this, right? Rather than fighting with your family, I'm encouraging you tonight to fight for your family. Amen. Don't fight with your family. Fight for your family. The Bible talks about our enemy, the devil. It says that he prowls around like a lion looking for whom he may devour. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the Bible actually talks about in Ephesians how when you are angry at one another, you give a foothold to the devil. So can I just make it spiritual for a moment? I want to talk about this from maybe a more intense spiritual point of view here. Um, Satan, his name in Hebrew, it means adversary adversary. He fights against us. And in Greek, the name Satan means accuser. He accuses. And so I want to show you in Zechariah in the Old Testament, in chapter 3, there's a scene that plays out, kind of like a scene from the courtroom of heaven, so to speak. And I want to just kind of talk about this for a second. Then the angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Jeshua, the high priest, he represented the entire nation of Israel who had been sinful and really in a bad place with God. It says the accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Jeshua, accusing. That's what he does. 
And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. In other words, God's people were on the path to destruction, but God saved them from the fire. He snatched them away. Jeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. That represents his sin. So the angel said to the other standing there, take off his filthy clothes. Turning to Jeshua, he said, see, I've taken away your sins, and now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. Then I said, they should also place a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. Listen to me, O Jeshua, the high priest, and all you other priests. You are symbols of things to come. This is representative of its foreshadowing of what would happen. It says, soon I am going to bring my servant the branch. What's he talking about there? This is a reference to the branch of David, who is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. We know that day. That was the day Jesus brought his cross up Calvary and died for the sins of the world. That's when he ultimately removed the sins of all of humanity happened on a single day. And on that day, says the Lord, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit with you peacefully under your own grapevine and fig tree. And that's just representative of the fact that through Jesus, we eventually find peace. We find the peace that we're looking for. So I wanted to kind of highlight this. It has profound spiritual implications. But let me first relate it to our topic tonight on fighting with your family, because I want you to understand how spiritual this can truly be. If you find yourself fighting with your family and you're bringing up their past to use against them, and you're attacking their identity and you're condemning them, spiritually you are aligning yourself with the devil who seeks to destroy your family and you have made yourself an ally of Satan who comes to bring condemnation against God's people. When you attack your family, Satan loves that. Yeah, yeah, tell them about all the bad things he's done. That's my favorite thing to do. Oh, yeah, 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 attack his identity. That saves me a lot of work. And when Satan accuses God's people, what does it say? The Lord rebuked Satan and rejected his accusations. So if you accuse one of God's people in your own family, the rebuke that fell upon Satan also falls upon you. Your family does not need another adversary or accuser. Your family needs an advocate. Your family needs an advocate. In 1 John, it says this, but if anybody does sin, that's all of us, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father and he declares us not guilty because our sins were nailed to the cross and God remembers them no more. When the enemy comes to accuse us, Jesus stands up and says, uh-uh, that sin has been wiped from the record book. He fights for us. Jesus, he changes our identity. He changes our identity from an enemy of God into child of God. So if you speak any attack against a family member's identity and who they are, you're contradicting Jesus. Think about this. Jesus makes us clean spiritually. He takes off our filthy clothes, stained by sin, and he clothes us spiritually with his robe of righteousness. 
So when you bring up a family member's past to use against them, you're trying to put them back in grave clothes when they've already been made clean and raised to life in Christ. Don't fight with your family. Fight for your family. Be an advocate for your family. Be like Jesus. Maybe this message will help some of you tonight have a home of peace or begin a new era, not of fighting with each other, but fighting for each other, finding peace, the peace that God wants you to have. I believe that this could be an encouragement to some of you, but I want to I talk about spiritually. What we're just talking about here is so important that there is a, a war going on spiritually for your eternal soul. There is a war going on. The enemy wants to destroy your soul. Jesus wants to save your soul. They're fighting for your soul. Who wins? Who wins? I'll tell you who wins. The one you choose. The one you choose is who wins. People ask sometimes, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? God doesn't send anyone to hell. People choose to follow Satan to hell. The devil is damned with or without you. He's just hoping you'll follow him to hell. He wants to take as many of us with him as he can. But think about Jesus. Jesus is victorious with or without you. What Jesus wants is for you to share in his victory. And all, all you have to do in order to share in his victory is accept him, choose him, receive the gift of salvation that he offers you by putting your faith in him and believing in him to save you. So who, who wants to, to suffer with Satan when you could be victorious with Jesus, right? I mean, that's just like... So let's take a moment for this. This is so important, right? If you know tonight, man, I need to choose Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want to be a child of God. I want to be victorious. Let's pause and take a moment for that. Let's bow our heads and just close our eyes. If you came tonight, maybe you're online right now, and you know, man, I need to be saved. I want this. I want to be changed. I want to find peace. This is your moment. Pray this prayer with me right now, wherever you're at. Just pray, God, I need you. I want you to save me. And I know I've sinned and I need your forgiveness, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins so I could be forgiven. And I believe that Jesus rose again so that I could have eternal life and victory in him. I wanna follow Jesus from this day forward. I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna live at peace with God and with people. I want to love others the way that you've loved me. Help me to do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.